0: and answers. In a recent survey, sociologist George Barna listed the top six reasons young people leave the church. Reason number one was that the churches seem overprotective. Christian young people were encountering ideas from the culture that challenged their faith. Instead of engaging the ideas, young people saw that churches' approach to the ideas of the culture were stifling fear-based, and risk-adverse. One quarter of 18 to 29-year-olds said Christians demonize everything outside of the church. Instead of engaging the ideas of the culture for Christ, most young people saw that churches demonize and avoid the ideas of the culture. Young people want to know if their faith in Christ can stand up to the challenge of opposing ideas. Instead of avoiding the ideas of the culture, we need to engage them for Christ. Are you equipped for the task? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Sukran. Pat is an author and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. This week, Pat explains why churches must not avoid, but engage our culture for Christ. Let's join Pat now as he explains the dominant ideas of our culture and the mission of the church today.
1: Well, as Ralph mentioned, our conference this year, 2013, July... 12th through 14th, Christianity and science, enemies or allies? And you may be surprised at what the answer is. One of the top issues that young people turn away from God is because they perceive Christianity to be an anti-science kind of belief system where they have to jettison their brain and what they know about the world in order to embrace Christianity. Well, you may be surprised. Modern science, it's the Christian worldview that gave birth to the modern science. They were allies for hundreds of years. It's only in recent times have they tried to be portrayed as enemies. Anyway, we got two great speakers, Dr. Rana and Paul Nelson, two world-class scientists, well-respected in their fields, not only by the Christians, but the secular community as well. Our topics are going to include why I believe in God, what Darwin did not know, new genetic discoveries that are chopping down Darwin's tree, cell design, could evolution build animals, life on other planets, Christian views on the age of the earth, and more. Okay? We'll also have a neurosurgeon speaking, the best one on our island. So it's going to be a great seminar July 12th, 13th, and we conclude Sunday night on the 14th. So I hope that you can all join us there. Well, for nearly 2,000 years of Western history, Christianity has had a vital role in shaping and the forming of this great civilization. From virtual obscurity, Christianity arose to conquer the greatest empire that perhaps the world has ever seen. It was the teachings of Christ that served to civilize and educate an entire continent. It gave birth to the modern ideas of freedom, human dignity, equality, free market economics, and social justice. Christianity forever established as universal virtues the concepts of compassion, love, sacrifice, and forgiveness. And the monuments of Christianity still remain, from the cathedrals that stand throughout the land to the universities that have educated millions, to the music of Bach and Beethoven, to the literature of Dante, Dostoevsky, Tolkien who wrote Lord of the Rings, C.S. Lewis who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. So from the colonization of America, to the creation of our democratic government, to the abolition of slavery, Christianity has been the most powerful and most positive formative influence on the culture in the history of the world. And travel the world, many of you have. Wherever Christianity flourishes, it raises the standard of personal and social standards of living. Wherever it flourishes, it brings personal, social, and cultural transformation. In his book, Jesus in Beijing, author David Aikman recorded the words of a leading Chinese scholar from the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. Speaking to a group of Westerners in 2002, he stated this, as they were trying to discover what it is that made Western culture such a success throughout the world, they researched thoroughly and they came to this conclusion. One of the things we were asked to look into was what accounted for the success, in fact, the preeminence of the West all over the world. We studied everything we could from the historical, political, economic, and cultural perspective. At first, we thought it was because you had more powerful guns than we had. Then we thought it was because you had the best political system. Next, we focused on your economic system, but in 20 years of study, We have realized that the heart of your culture is religion, Christianity. That is why the West has been so powerful. The Christian moral foundation of social and cultural life was what made possible the emergence of capitalism and then the successful transition to democratic politics. We don't have any doubt about this. These Chinese scholars recognize the foundation of America's greatness. Well, now, at the dawn of the 21st century, what can be said of Christianity in the West and in America? Christianity is no longer the powerful force it was in the past. And in recent time, all remnants of our nation's Christian heritage are being systematically removed from the public square. Christian ideas are no longer welcome in our public schools or in our institutions of higher learning. Christianity is mocked in the media as a superstition of uneducated individuals. Christian ethical system is no longer welcome in our halls of justice and government. We are and have been for many years living in post-Christian times. Well, many Christians and churches have chosen to retreat behind the walls of our churches and isolate ourselves from the culture. However, the Bible commands us to engage our culture and its ideas for Christ. And in order for the church to effectively engage its culture, it must understand the ideas that dominate our culture. You see, the gospel is never preached in isolation, but it's always preached in the context of a culture and its ideas. Jesus was a very effective communicator because he was a master of the word of God, but he also understood the culture around him. He knew the teachings of the Jewish law and the Jewish traditions, and therefore he could address them and correct them, show them where they were in error, and where the truth lay. Paul, considered the greatest missionary of the church, was very effective because he mastered the word of God, but he also understood the culture around him. Look in Acts chapter 17, where he addressed the Greeks and he quotes their philosophers to build his case for the gospel. When you understand the culture around you, you know how to connect with your audience, but you also know the ideas that stand against your message. This makes you a more effective and persuasive instrument for the gospel of Jesus Christ when you can speak in the terms people connect with and address the ideologies that they ascribe to. Now, in our culture, I'm just gonna go over six of the dominant ideas of our time very briefly. And we begin with naturalism, the worldview of our culture, or another word for this is Atheism. Naturalism is the worldview that teaches the material world is all that exists. It's summed up best in Carl Sagan's word from his special, The Cosmos, which all us public school students had to watch. And he states this, the universe is all that is, ever was, and ever will be. That's naturalism. It rejects the notion of a God or a creator of a spiritual world, Of any life after death, or that there's an immaterial soul or spirit that exists in us. There's no God, there's no Son of God, there's no Word of God, there's no Acts of God, and these stand in direct opposition with the Christian worldview. This is the dominant worldview of our time that dominates our schools, our universities, our media, and our government. Let me ask you a question. The universe is all that is, ever was, and ever will be. How does Carl Sagan know that? How does he know that? Faith. Faith. It takes tremendous faith to believe that. It takes a lot of faith to be an atheist. However, naturalism leads to a dreadful conclusion that we are mere accidents in time and space. Thus, there's no ultimate meaning, significance, or purpose for our existence. Atheist philosopher Bertrand Russell stated these words. Man is the product of causes which hold no provision of the end they were achieving, that his origin, his growth, his hopes, his fears, his loves, and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collocation of atoms, that no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave, that all the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast depth of the solar system and that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. I read this to a class of Chinese engineering students, steeped in Marxist, socialist, atheistic philosophy. They do not believe in a God. And when I said, if God does not exist, your life is ultimately meaningless. The only hope you have is annihilation. All that the architects work to create ends in annihilation. All that the doctors do to cure disease and prolong human life, all ends in extinction and meaninglessness. All that the soldier fights for on the battlefield all ends in extinction and meaninglessness. And when I read them this quote, they looked in shock and horror. And as I was ready to move on to the next slide, they said, no, no, bring that back, bring that back. They were reading it over and over and over. And I could look in their eyes just the shock and horror, the implications of their particular worldview. Now, if God does not exist, this is the ultimate conclusion of atheism Or the naturalist worldview. If you understand the implications of this worldview, it provides a great opportunity to share Christ if we're equipped and ready to engage this worldview. The second dominant idea of our time is Darwinism. Darwinism teaches that the origin and diversity of life is the result of natural causes. We are simply accidents here. There's no intended purpose for our existence. And like atheism, if Darwinism is true, if there is no creator, if there is no intended purpose for our existence here, it leads to some very dark and dreadful conclusions. Dr. Will Provine, biology professor at Cornell University, stated for us very well, summed it up for us. He said, if Darwinism is true, it ultimately means no life after death, no absolute foundation for right and wrong, no ultimate meaning for our lives, and no free will. That's the implications if Darwinism is true and there is no creator. The third dominant idea, which comes from these two, if God does not exist, Where does truth come from? It's invented by man. That's your only conclusion. And if it's invented by man, truth is relative. Relativism is the ideology of our culture. And it is the natural conclusion if God does not exist. If there is no creator, truth finds its origin in man. And if man is the measure of truth, then it's relative. See, we're all flawed We're limited in our intelligence and experience. We cannot know everything completely and objectively. Then there's no fixed point by which we can measure truth. Truth then is not absolute, it changes with the individual. Truth is not discovered, it is invented and created by the culture or the individual. Therefore truth changes from person to person and from culture to culture. Christians teaching that the Bible is absolute truth for all people are often stonewalled by this ideology that tells them, well, true for you, but not for me. Well, that may work for you, but keep it to yourself. Don't try to push that stuff on me. You cannot say your version of truth is any better than mine. And this ideology dominates our university campuses. That leads to the fourth dominant idea of our culture, Moral relativism. Morality is determined by the individual or the culture. Everyone determines their own right and wrong. The majority in our culture today believe that morality is determined by the individual or the culture and that it's always changing. So homosexuality may have been wrong a 100 years ago, but today things change and hey, it's fine. In our culture, the popular Saying is what? Live and let live. No one has the right to tell anyone their chosen lifestyle or belief is wrong. Both the ideas of the relativism of truth and moral relativity quickly unravel, though, when individuals realize they're contradictory and they are unlivable. Well, the fourth dominant idea is religious pluralism. This is the spirituality of our culture. Pluralism says that all religions are equally valid and true. There's no religion that has the truth on eternal destiny, God, morality, and spirituality. Many believe it's not only wrong, but dangerous to teach that there's a religion that is true and others are false. It's the kind of thinking that many believe has led to much of the conflict in our culture today. I'm constantly faced with this ideology. Just a couple weeks ago, I was at my uncle's funeral, right here down the road. And of course, it was a Buddhist funeral. And whenever I go, I usually sit in the back row and try to be just inconspicuous. So I went and I said hi to all my uncles, my cousins, and everyone. And then, try to be real, inconspicuous and I sat in the back row. The chapel was only half full, you know, so being the only guy in the back row, you know. And so the Buddhist priest came up and gave the chanting and everything. And then they called the families up. And of course, at that point, you know, I don't go up. But I sit way in the back, so no one notices that I don't go up, you know. Everyone, you know, went up and put incense in the altar and everything. And then my cousin, who's a teacher, who is, you know, the kind, Balau. Right? <laughs> she gave the eulogy, and then the Buddhist priest came back up, and she went all the way to the back row, and sat in the one row behind me, and my sister was sitting next to me. And you know, the chapel over there, you know, it's a pile floor, so noise kind of echoes, and she talks loud, right? She goes, Hey, Patrick never go home!
0: Patrick never go up to the altar and give incense, Patrick
1: never go up, and I looked over and I said, hey, relax, don't make a big deal about it, she wouldn't stop, she told said, hey, Patrick never go up, look at Patrick never go up, and everybody in the chapel turned and looked at me, and started giving me the evil eye. You know, and I'll sit there and go, man, I came just to be unnoticed and just to support the family. And, you know, you know she made a big deal of it and got everybody mad again. And so, of course, you know, when it, we, to eat, you know after you go and eat, and of course, nobody was talking to me again. <laughs> and so eventually, you know, I just left. <laughs> but pluralism, that is the spirituality of our culture today. All religions are fine and equal ways to God. It's just when you study them, you realize they're all contradictory. Steve Turner said it best. We believe that all religions are basically the same. At least the one we read was. They all believe in love and goodness. They only differ on matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. (laughs) Pretty much on everything, they disagree. They cannot all be true at the same time. And finally, consumerism the practice of our culture consumerism is the opposite to the spirit of christ teaching in first john 3 15 do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the father but from the world the world is passing away along with its desires but whoever does the will of god abides forever. This ideology is essentially defined as a never-ending desire to possess material goods and to achieve personal success. It is a systematic creation and encouragement of the desire to possess material goods and personal success in ever greater amounts. Richard Newhouse stated, consumerism is living in a matter that is measured by having rather than being. That's a good way to put it. Who's got the biggest house? Who's got the fanciest cars? Who's got the nicest clothes? Who's the best looking? Many people use terms as materialism, but consumerism is much more than just materialism. It is a way of perceiving the world that has affected all young, old, rich and poor, Christian and non-Christian. It measures a person not by their character, but by their possessions, their appearance and status. Consumerism presents us with the illusion and distracts us from the cosmic truth of our sin and separation from God. However, all these ideologies fail to fill the emptiness of the human heart. In our post-Christian times, we find that our message is contrary to the ideologies of the ideas of our time. We preach a sovereign and loving creator in a culture that rejects his authority in our lives. We preach an absolute truth in a relativistic world that wants to deny truth. We stand for an absolute moral code in a amoral world. We preach an exclusive salvation in a pluralistic world. Now, although these are very powerful ideas that create barriers from people coming to Christ, this also represents a great opportunity for the gospel. You see, these ideologies, naturalism, relativism, consumerism, offer no hope and no spiritual and ultimate meaning for life, no moral foundation, no purpose for our existence. And our culture, especially our youth, are feeling the impact of these ideas and people are beginning to realize the rotten fruits of these ideologies. This was revealed in a significant study in 2003. The Commission on Children at Risk was formed to study the social, moral, spiritual foundation of a child's well-being. The commission included 33 doctors, research scientists, mental health professionals from nations all over the world. And these were not conservatives or all Christian men. They were from very various views. And their findings revealed that 1 in 10 students suffer from clinical depression. They summed up... Their findings stating this, we're witnessing a high and rising rates of depression, anxiety, attention deficit disorder, conduct disorders, thoughts of suicide, and other serious mental, emotional, and behavioral problems among US children and adolescents. And you know, this is what they identified the cause as. This was the cause. A lack of connectedness, close connections to other people and deep connections to moral and spiritual meaning. The commission recommended this. And remember, these aren't Christians. They're from very various views. They recommended, for what may be the first time, a diverse group of scientists and other experts on children's health is publicly recommending that our society pay considerably more attention to young people's moral, spiritual, and religious needs. You see, the present values of our culture stand in conflict with God's truth and the very nature and yearnings of the human heart for which we were designed. We're born with a God-given desire to find meaning, purpose, and make sense of life and reality. There's a longing for relationships with God and with others. There's a longing for truth. And at this time, the world is looking to see if Christians can offer any answers and if there's any substance to our message. You know, when I was speaking at Cornell University just last year in an auditorium, you know, of all the Ivy League schools, they were all built as what? They all began as seminaries to train pastors for the new frontier, except Cornell. Cornell began strictly as a secular university.
0: This concludes part one of Pat's message. I hope you were informed and inspired by Pat's challenge. If you missed any part of this message, log on at evidenceandanswers.org and you can listen to the entire study and enjoy other great resources right there on the site. Pat's ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by Pat's teaching, would you consider supporting him in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. Join us again next week for part two of this message right here on Evidence and Answers.